0: Hey, we're in a a sermon series that I'm enjoying, I hope you are too, from the book of Judges. That's always an exciting uh, book to study. Uh, Today I'm calling the sermon, Gideon Cleans House, Uh, and we're in chapter 6 of Judges, if you want to turn over to that. I love the book of Judges uh, for obvious reasons. It's filled with villains who who get their heads pegged to the ground. Uh, It's filled with evil armies who end up attacking themselves, um, uh, is filled with uh, a left-handed hero with a hobbit sword, um, uh, Philistines destroyed by an ox goad, uh, a, a superhero, super strong hero, who rips a, a lion apart with his bare hands and killed a thousand Philistines with a jawbone of an ass. I mean, who, who, who needs an ox goad when you've got a donkey's jawbone? I mean... That's your weapon right there. There's even a little romance in Judges with uh, a lady named Delilah. (laughs) Of course, that didn't end well uh, as she betrayed her husband, the super strong hero. Um, I mean, what's not to like about the book of Judges, right? Today we meet one of the most famous judges and men of God in the Bible, Gideon. You know, as we get started with the story of Gideon, guess what the Israelites did? They, they Yeah, yeah, verse, verse 1, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Can you believe it? And for seven years, God gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Uh, judges doesn't speak of our last judge, Deborah's death. Um, but after she died, and, and it, the judges does tell us that every time a judge died, um, and judges were, were people uh, men and, and a woman uh, who, who God sent to lead Israel before the kings came along. Um, after the judges died, every time Israel did what they seemed to always do, uh, as soon as the cat died, the mice began to play, uh, or when the godly leader died. With, with no one to guide and direct and encourage them to serve God, the people began once again to worship the Canaanite pagan gods. Without godly leadership, you know, people always, always listen and indulge in, in the desires of their flesh. We all do that without guidance. We, we like to uh, point our fingers and shake our heads at those Israelites because of their constant failure to God. Why do they keep doing that, we think? Yet, if you and I fail to allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us as Christians in our walk with Christ, we often do the very same thing. We give into our flesh and do what our flesh wants to do. Our fleshly desires are just as strong as the Israelites were back in the day. So as we read through the book of Judges, rather than shaking our heads, ah, oh, those Israelites, I declare, can you believe... Instead of shaking our heads at the failure of the Israelites, let's learn from their mistakes so that we don't make the same mistakes ourselves. This time, the Israelites were being oppressed by a a group of people called the Midianites. A lot of ites people in Canaan, uh, uh, as I said a couple of weeks ago, uh, there was no central government in Canaan. It was little pockets of little kingdoms um, uh, all throughout the kingdom, all throughout Canaan, and, and uh, one of them were the Midianites. The Midianites were descendants of Abraham's second wife, Keturah. How many of you knew Abraham had a wife named Keturah? Okay, like four of you. All right. Okay, I, I, I had forgotten that if I if I ever knew it. Um, but that they he was a descend, they were a descendants of her. Um, while they were distant in laws. Uh, uh, of the Israelites, they were no friend of the Israelites, uh, and they were pagans, as all the people, uh, peoples in Canaan were. In fact, because of a, a Midianite attempt to to consummate the Israelite and Midianite religions through a sexual encounter between a Midianite woman, Midianite woman, and an Israelite man. Um, God had, back in Numbers chapter 25, verse 17 and 18, God had commanded that the Midianites be destroyed. Well, they were not completely destroyed. And by the time of the judges, God used the Midianites to oppress the Israelites because of their unfaithfulness. Interestingly, the Midianites' oppression was the shortest period of oppression. Uh, in the book of Judges. It was only seven years. But what a seven years it was. What a tough seven years. The Midianites chose a very brutal way to cause great suffering for the Israelite people. Now, they didn't put them in prison. They didn't enslave them. They didn't require money from them. Uh, The way that the Midianites oppressed the Israelites was to sabotage their livelihood, particularly their crops and their herds. Let's look at uh, verse 3 through 5. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They they, They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts it was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. So the Midianites and some others with them uh, just made life miserable for the Israelites by making it difficult for them to feed themselves, to provide food for themselves. Uh, the Israelites, as most people were back in those days, was a, the, this was an agrarian culture um, meaning they relied heavily on their crops and their herds to to eat and sur- to survive. So every year, just as the Israelites planted their crops for the season, the Midianites moved in and just destroyed everything. You know, they set up their camps right in the fields where the crops were planted, and they stole or killed their cattle and their sheep. And as a result, the Israelites had no crops or, her- or herds to sell or to feed themselves and meet their own needs. In fact, just to stay alive, the Israelites had to hide in the mountains and the caves. They had to find hidden places to raise just a, just a small amount of crops just to, for their families to eat, maybe like your, your garden at home. Uh, and they would hide a cow or a sheep uh, so they could have milk and, or meat. It finally got bad enough that the Israelites did the other thing that they always did when things got bad because of their own sinful choices. What was that? They cried out to God. Verse 6, Midian, so impoverished, the Israelites, that they cried out to the Lord for help. Isn't it a shame that sometimes we don't realize how much we need God until we begin to suffer from the consequences of our own sinful choices. That's when we cry out to God. Our selfishness harms our relationship with our spouse. Our indulgence causes addiction. Our neglect causes our children to rebel or make bad choices themselves. Our obsession with material things causes us to feel empty and unfulfilled. And when we finally hit bottom, It's then that we cry out to God, Lord, help me. And then even then, sometimes we blame God for the oppression that is caused by our own bad choices. How much more joy could you and I experience in life if we would just choose to be faithful to God and to cry out to Him always, not just during bad times, But when things are going, great, to cry out to God, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, for my blessings, for being there for me. Let's not, as I said earlier, let's not let these stories just be an entertaining adventure that we read about. Let's let's let them teach us how to avoid oppression in our own lives because our our sinful choices can be oppressive just as the Israelites were. The Israelites cried out to God for help, but, but we noticed that they did not cry out in repentance uh, when they cried out for help. The, the Israelites didn't say, oh God, we have been so stupid for worshiping these, these false gods of the Canaanites. What were we thinking? We shouldn't have done that. We were wrong, God, to intermarry with these pagans and then adopt their pagan gods. God, we have neglected worshiping you and you only. God, please forgive us. Please forgive us for our own sinful choices. That didn't happen with the Israelites. For, for them, it was just, God, we're in trouble. We need some help. Can you come help us? From these crazy Midianites. No repentance. Yet, God was at least glad to hear them call out to him because before that they hadn't called out, out to him at all for help, and he had compassion on them. But this time, instead of immediately sending them a judge to lead them to victory like he did sometime, uh, this time he sent them a prophet to remind them of, exact, of exactly why they were suffering. Let's look at verse 7 through 10. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian... He sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. This situation, Israel, it's not just your bad luck that you're you're suffering like this. No, folks, you caused this. You caused this by your own sinful choice to fail to worship me and only me. The story of Gideon is God's attempt to not just rescue the Israelites from suffering, but to get them to realize why they're suffering, and to repent, or to turn from their sinful ways, and to live the way God wanted them to live. This unnamed prophet begins that process by reminding them of what, they, what God had done for them in the past. He had rescued them from slavery, uh, and why he was al- now allowing them to suffer. And, you know, it's because of your simple choices. Will it make a difference? Will it make a difference, the words of this prophet? We'll see. Well, after the prophet had been sent to speak to the people, then God got to work on calling the next judge to lead them out of this current oppression from the Midianites. And his name is Gideon. Let's look at our introduction to Gideon, verses um, 11 and 12. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah and be, that belonged to Joash, the Abazrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, an angel appears before this young man named Gideon who is threshing wheat in a winepress. All right. Threshing wheat was a, a, a big deal in any agrarian uh, culture. Uh, and in ancient times, uh, that involved taking the grain, spreading it out on a, on a, a big flat surface and with a, a, with a pitchfork or something, uh, you would toss the grain up into the air and hopefully there's a good wind blowing and it would blow the chaff or the waste away because it's lighter and then the heavier grain would fall down. Uh, and, and you had to do that to, 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 to get the pure grain. Uh, now, it was usually, as I said, usually done in an open field, a great big open field, flat, hard surface, um, where you could spread out a large amount of wheat. Well, since the Midianites uh, were stealing and destroying any crops that the Israelites had, if they wanted to have any food at all, uh, they had to be sneaky about the way they grew their crops and the way they processed them. So they couldn't just thresh out in the open like they normally would, uh, and like the Midianites would be expecting them to do. So they had to be creative, like threshing in a wine press. Now here's a picture of a wine press. It's a pretty large one. Uh, if you've seen the I Love Lucy episode where where uh, all the uh, grapes are, when they were in Italy or something, and, and uh, the grapes were put in this big va- vat, and Lucy's... Squishing it down with their feet, um, well, that's the way they did. They literally did it that way. They filled that thing with <clears throat> with grapes and then the people with bare feet, uh, I'm sure they were sanitized feet um, uh, would squish the grapes and then it'd go down in the hole and, and and they'd make wine with that. Well, they, they decided, hey, we, we can hide in here and put our wheat in here and thresh uh, somehow. Uh, using uh, in doing it in this wine press. <clears throat> and hopefully no one would see him or expect him. You never expect it to be done in a wine press, right? So maybe they can have a little bit of grain to make some bread for their family. So the angel finds Gideon hard at work, threshing wheat, uh, and he spoke some unexpected words to Gideon. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, mighty warrior... The Lord is with me? Now, these were very difficult words uh, for Gideon to accept for a couple of reasons. First, the words, the Lord is with you. Let's look at why that was a challenge for him to accept. Verse 13, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of of Midian. You know, as as we see here, and we're going to see next week when we continue part two of Gideon, um, Gideon is known for asking God for a sign, uh, a sign uh, so that he can see if if God is who he says he is, you know, and, and here we see the very first um, uh, 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 example of how Gideon is a little skeptical of God, and why he asks for signs. Uh, Gideon has w- was several generations removed from some of these stories that he had always heard about, from the miraculous wonders uh, that he, that he always heard when he was growing up as a child. You know all those those stories about being slaves in Egypt and the ten plagues uh, and the rescuing them from slavery and being released and walking across the, the Red Sea as God divided the sea and then had it collapse on the Egyptian army to destroy them. Uh, you know, Gideon thought, well, those are nice stories. They're exciting stories. But Gideon had never seen any of that kind of thing from God with his own eyes. They were just stories that he had heard from back in the day. In in Gideon's experience, he had never personally seen anything from God. To him, living in the the midst of the the Midianite oppression, if, if God was real, it seemed like God had just abandoned them because he had never seen anything from God. And we'll see in a minute that that Gideon's family, including Gideon, were also worshiping pagan gods like Baal and Asherah. And and guess what? These gods had done nothing either. (laughs) Uh, Who's to say any of them have any power or any of them are real? Because Gideon had not seen anything from any god. So when the angel says, the Lord is with you, Gideon's response was basically, Oh yeah, since when? Since when? The angel seems to ignore this doubt and just presses on with his message to Gideon Um, in verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in strength, you in the strength you have, and save Israel out of Midian's hand. I am I not sending you. Notice here the text says. The Lord turned to him because the angel is also referred to several times as the Lord. uh, He may very well have been God in the form of an angel or God was speaking directly through this angel. Um, Gideon wasn't so Gideon wasn't just speaking just to an angel of the Lord. Uh, He will soon discover that he is speaking to Yahweh himself. And to this last statement, go in strength Save Israel, I am sending you. And then earlier, he called him mighty warrior. Gideon says to this, verse 13 and 15, or verse 15, Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Gideon was sort of being like Moses here. I remember Moses doubted his ability to confront Pharaoh to ask for uh, the Israelites' freedom from slavery. So for Gideon, it's, what, me? Me? What are you talking about? You know, you want me to save Israel? It, you, you know, I, I can't save anybody. I'm a nobody from a nobody family in a nobody tribe. The tribe of Manasseh. Not me. Not me, Surely. Ever felt like Gideon in all this? Ever wondered if God was there? Or if he cares about you at all and your life? If you've ever felt that way, you're in good company. You're in good company because Gideon was there at this moment. Seven years of oppression at the hands of a cruel enemy. Uh, hunger, poverty barely getting by so what they they decided well let's just try bail let's just try a shear and see what what he can do what they can do turns out they can't or won't do anything either that's where Gideon was ever been where Gideon was God I have prayed and I've asked for help but I don't see any answers are you there are you there Maybe I'll try other things that might help, like alcohol, drugs, sex, going in debt for things I can't afford. Maybe they'll give me some happiness. But they don't help either. Lord, where are you? Where are you? Have you ever been there? Well, Gideon is about to see God's hand of power, which will clearly reveal the truth that Not only is God there, but Baal and these other gods, they ain't there at all. They don't even exist. But God does. Verse 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. God didn't strike Gideon down because of his doubt. He just pressed on. With his promise. I will be with you, and you will strike down the Israelites. Well, the angel, the Lord, had Gideon's attention now. Gideon didn't realize that he was actually talking to God himself or or hearing God speaking to him. Uh, But but his this angelic appearance and these promises, they had Gideon's attention. He's never heard anything like this from Baal. Or Asherah. And it's here that we see Gideon's first request for a sign. Let's see how that worked out. Verse 17 Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. I need a sign, God, that that this is real. I, 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 need, I need to know for sure that you are who you say you are. And so I'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Just wait right here. I, I think that's kind of comical that God actually, the creator of the universe, you're telling creator of the universe, wait right here. I'll be right back. But, but God understood his doubts. See, God understands when we doubt sometimes. And God understood Gideon's doubt and his hesitation And was willing to do whatever it took to help Gideon work through it. If he had to wait, then he would wait. And so, and the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Verse 19, Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. Now, goats and wheat, remember what we were talking about? They were scarce. Uh, they were valuable. You didn't have a whole lot of any of that because of what the Midianites were doing. So you didn't want to waste a goat or a sheep or or, uh, or, 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 or flour. But Gideon was willing to take a chance for them to be used as a sign. So he prepared an offering given to the angel to just see what would happen. Well, let's see what did happen. Verse 28 through 23, the angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place it on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flashed from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord he exclaimed, alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. Most people, when they saw God, thought they were going uh, so to die. So you had to be calmed down because of that. So there was the sign. There was the sign. The angel, through God's uh, which God spoke through and acted through, caused fire to come from the rock, Oof! consuming the offering, and then, boom, he just disappeared. That was a sign. That was a sign. Baal never did that. <laughs> it wasn't dividing the Red Sea or anything like that. It wasn't uh, that powerful, but it was powerful enough that it convinced Gideon that this was actually God's, angel and that Yahweh the God of creation was speaking through him you know God doesn't always reveal himself uh, when and how we want him to does he you know we usually want God to reveal himself to act now right now God I need your help now immediately today help me but sometimes his timing is later than now isn't it? Sometimes it's a little later. Sometimes it's a lot later. It can be years later sometimes. So often patience is needed as we wait for God. But inevitably he comes through in just the right way, the perfect way that we need for him to come through. Maybe he doesn't take away the trial that we're going through and experiencing. Maybe he just helps us navigate through it and gives us the strength to get through it, which what? Helps us to grow stronger, doesn't it? And we look back and we think, that trial that I went through, that God helped me get through, has made me stronger. And one thing is for sure, you know, those other gods that we turn to for help and for comfort, like money and alcohol and material things, relationships, they always end up disappointing us, don't they? Always. Always. I mean, their comfort is short-lived at best and destructive at worst. Only God and in his time can truly give us the joy that we all need. So Gideon builds an altar to God, and there and then God gives Gideon his first task to do as Israel's new judge. And it wasn't as it was with the other judges. It wasn't like, all right, Gideon, now that you believe in me, <clears throat> go strike down the Midianites and rescue Israel from their oppression. <clears throat> Use an ox goat if you can find one, or a hobbit sword, whatever. Just go, and I'll, and I'll help you win. Now, that kind of order is going to come later for Gideon. And if you know that story, it's an exciting story of how he defeated the Midianites. no the first task given to Gideon wasn't about Midianite oppression at all. It was a mission to deal with Gideon and his own family first. Verse 25 and 26, that same night the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it, Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. There's his first task. And so I would imagine with Gideon, it's like, wait, what? What what do you want me to do? You, You want me to take another animal from my father's scant herd and offer it as an offering to you? a sacrifice to you and you want me to tear down my father's altar to Baal and to Asherah replacing it with an altar to you using the wood from the Asherah pole to build it Hmm, that's probably not going to go over well with my dad and with the village people who use that those altars now now why why was this God's first task for Gideon you know rather than go out and attack the Midianites and relieve the oppression. Why was this God's first task for Gideon? Well it's simple you see the reason for their misery was not the Midianites no the reason they were being oppressed is because of their unfaithfulness to God. You know God was allowing using the Midianites to oppress them because of their, their worship of false gods you know they even had false al- God altars in their homes. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, while the Israelites might have said to God, yeah, 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 God, we worship other gods, but you're, you're still the main God. We still worship you, Yahweh. You're the main God. But as I said uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, God, here's the way God looks at that. I don't want to be the most powerful God among many gods. I want to be the only God. That's the lesson they needed to learn. The Israelites were tolerating other gods in their lives, giving them legitimacy, even going as far as having altars to them in their homes. Gideon and his family worshipped Baal. And Asherah. And that had to stop, and it had to stop now and completely. And so, what better way to demonstrate that than to tear down those altars and replace them with an altar to the true living God, even building it out of the wood from the false God altar? Gideon, before we clean out the Midianites from the land, get in, we need to first clean out. Baal and Asherah from your own home. So, at night, Gideon chose to do this at night because tearing down the villages and his father's altar in broad daylight might not have gone over very well. So he chose to do it in the dark of night. Um, Gideon and some helpers did what God called him to do. They tore it down. They built an altar to Yahweh using the wood from the Asherah offering the sacrifice to God. Next morning, people got up and saw what what happened. Their their altars were gone. Uh, And they were upset about it. Apparently, the village used the the altars that Joash, Gideon's father, had built. It was kind of the village altar. Someone had desecrated their altar. Uh, And when they discovered that it was Gideon that had done it, They demanded that his father bring his son out to be executed for it. But listen to what Gideon's father, Joash, said to the mob who wanted wanted his son dead. Verse 31 and 32. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerob that day, saying, Let Baal contend with him. Now remember, these were Joash's altars in his home. They belonged to Gideon's family. You see, Joash wasn't being like Elijah uh, and mocking Baal. Joash wasn't mocking Baal and people who worshipped Baal. No, Joash was being serious here. If Baal is real, then Baal can take care of himself. That makes sense, right? If he's really God, alright, let's, let's just put a test to it. If he's really God, God, Baal can take care of himself. Why should we fight Baal's battle for him? Let Baal fight his own battle and take care of Gideon if that's necessary. Well, of course, Baal is not real, and they saw that clearly. Um, Baal didn't take care of things because he's not real, (laughs) which was a huge lesson for everybody that day. It was a lesson for Joash, for the village, for Gideon, for all of Israel. There is only one God, Yahweh is the only God who can do anything, because all other gods aren't even real. Their forefathers knew this, and now they're learning it, too. God was going to deliver Israel from the Midianites in a great way, and he needed the people to put their faith and their trust in Yahweh, and only Yahweh. Get rid of these false gods and serve me only that was the lesson come on i'm the only one that can help so lesson taught <laughs> hopefully lesson learned before you try to clean other people's spiritual house first clean your own spiritual house you know it's so easy to, to point our finger uh, at all the the wrongs that others commit isn't it i'm pretty good at that how about you uh, our neighbors, our school boards, the government, the co-worker with the bad attitude, the impatient waitress, the inconsiderate driver. Man, we love pointing out how, how bad they are. And that's all fine and good. May, maybe, maybe we're right about them. Maybe we're right about them sometimes. But what, what does Jesus calls us, call us to do? The same thing that God called Gideon to do. First, clean your own house before you start complaining about how dirty somebody else's house is. What did Jesus say, Matthew? And they' sermon on the Mount, Matthew seven verse three through five. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pray and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, "Let me take that speck out of your eye?" When all the time there's this plank in your own eye, you hypocrite. Hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's so easy to point our finger at others uh, because what does that do when we do that? It distracts everyone. It distracts ourselves from doing what? From looking at our own life. When we're looking at somebody else and how bad they are, then we're, we're kind of distracted from how bad we might be. And what what sin might be going on in our life? So are there are there some altars in our house uh, that we're ignoring and tolerating? uh, in in our in our lives that we need to tear down and rebuild an altar to God? Where does God fall on our priority list? Is he even on it? Is he just on it when it's convenient to put him there? but then otherwise we sort of push him off to the side? Shouldn't God be at the very top, number one? Nothing stands in the way of serving him, nothing. Shouldn't that be the way our relationship with God should be? Are we trying to do like the Israelites and serve multiple gods? Lying to ourselves that that God... Of course, as number one. Yes, God, you're number one. But in reality, if we're honest, if we're honest, other things are more important than God in our lives. And it's proven, by the way, we easily give them priority over God. We're looking at the fruit, not the words that come out of our mouth. It's true for us, as it was for Israel. God doesn't want to be the most powerful among many gods in our lives. Now, he wants to be the only God. So let's get busy tearing down some earthly altars and make our life an altar to God. Father God, I I thank you so much for uh, another great story in the book of of Judges. Gideon, Lord, is always an exciting story because uh, there's even more to come with his life. But we see here, Lord, that before you got down to business of removing oppression, you got down to business with helping Gideon see why they were oppressed, and it's because they failed to put you first in their life and tried to share you with other things, with other gods, with other fleshly desires. Lord, help us to learn from that. Uh, Before we start pointing our finger at everybody else in the world, let's 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 look at our own lives and see, am I putting you first in my life? And if I'm not, if there's other things that constantly keeps getting in the way, uh, help us to to figure out a way with your help and the guidance of the Holy Spirit to make you number one in our life and everything that we do, that everything we do is meant to give glory to you. Thank you, Father, uh, for this lesson. I pray that we lesson taught, lesson learned from all of us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.